Acts chapter number 20. Would you please turn there to Acts chapter number 20? Our series through the book of Acts has brought us here to chapter number 20. Series entitled A Church for His Name. Church for His Name. And so we read now the very end of Paul's third missionary journey as it is known. And so we'll begin our reading here tonight in Acts 20 in verse number 1. We just uh, studied his time in Ephesus and some of the persecution, the difficulties that came to him there, but that did not stop him because he was called by God to keep going. And that's what he's doing in, in chapter 20, verse number 1. It says, and after the uproar, that's what that's in reference to, the uproar that was in Ephesus. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much, what? Exhortation. So when he had given them much exhortation, much encouragement, much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia... Sopater of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. So we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So that would be right, of course, the time of the Passover, the days of unleavened bread. And came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. See, the Bible advocates long preaching. Verse 8, And there were many lights in the upper chamber, when they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. Eutychus means fortunate. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> you know what happens to him. You know the, why that's ironic. Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. And fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Be careful in the balcony. All right, be careful in the balcony. So that's what happened. Verse number 10 says, And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until the break of day, so he departed. So he was raised to life and enjoyed a meal and listened to the rest of the preaching. <laughs> okay, now, I'm not an apostle, so <laughs> be careful. Where are we? Verse number 12. And they brought the young man alive, and the Bible says, We're not a little comforted. You get it? That means they were really comforted. They weren't a little comforted. They were very comforted. And we went before to ship and sailed to Asos, unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for 
So he had appointed, minding himself, to go afoot. So he figured to walk. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Metellini. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. Now it's starting to sound like Brother Bartel's report on the <laughs> Russian trip, right? All these names and places and a lot of traveling. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Most likely, likely, he intended to be in Jerusalem maybe for the Passover and had to change plans. So now he's hoping at least to get there between the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. And so then what takes place in chapter 20, beginning verse 17 through the, through the remainder of it is a remarkable pastoral, kind of pastor-to-pastor speech from Paul to the, the elders of Ephesus and that area. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we won't have time to get into it tonight, of course, but, but you read it and you see his heart for the ministry that it might continue. I, I believe what we have in a snapshot here from verse 17 through 38 is why it took him from an evening meal till midnight to convey to those people that were there. It's just a lot of material. This would have been his last words to them. So it probably wasn't common that he preached that long. This was a last opportunity. you know. And if this were my last opportunity to speak to you, then I'd probably go a good little while. Till midnight. But they were very dear to Paul. And so, look forward to get into the message tonight. I'll be honest with you, when I first studied it, I thought, okay, we're just going to verse 17. We're just going to skip the first 16 verses. All these places, you know, all this going on. But the more I looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, this is powerful. This is good for us to consider. And, you know, of course, you would assume that because nothing in the Word of God is arbitrary. It's there for a purpose. It's there for our learning. And so I believe tonight we'll see what his intent was. And it's mentioned twice in verse 2 and then also in verse number 12 about him exhorting them or encouraging them. And so encouraging them to continue doing what God called them to do. So may God bless the reading of his Word as we consider this subject here tonight, this theme title, It Takes Teamwork to leave a legacy. It takes teamwork to leave a legacy. When you've invested time and energy into something that is very dear to you, you want to see it continue beyond your days. If you've worked hard in a garden or you've worked hard in landscaping your yard or planting maybe a flower garden then you want to see that even after you're gone, somebody's taking care of that. If you worked hard to fix up a car, and now you turn those keys over to that 16-year-old young man, you want that car to continue to be in good shape? Because you put a lot of work into that. There's a lot of grease that had been under your fingernails and things of that nature, you know, that you just had sweat over that car. It's important to you. 
you worked hard to build a solid financial standing, financial portfolio, or just strong abilities there, then then you'd want whoever you pass it down to. I mean, you want it to go into hands that will that will be wise with it. Because you've worked hard. That's your life earnings there. How about this? If you've worked hard to raise children and point them in the right direction, you want to see them walk and follow God. And continue on. Even when you're not around. Even when you're no longer with them, you want to see them serving the Lord. I... I, I want that to be the case with our sons as we're trying to raise them because uh, it's a reality that seems to be setting in that they're not always going to be in our house. And we're not always going to be with them every day. Now, right now, that seems so far away at times. But then other times, like that. Yeah. I want to see them continue on. If you've worked hard to build a Sunday school class, you want to see it stay strong. If you've worked hard to build a bus route, you want to see it stay strong even after you're gone. If you've worked hard to plan a church, and planning a church would be hard work. In my mind, it'd be difficult and challenging work. If you've worked hard to see people saved and see them baptized and see them gathered together, you want to make sure they keep going even after you're gone. That's what this passage is about. That's what it's about. Paul had the opportunity to say a last word to all these churches, and he said it. And he said it. And he said it. (laughs) And he kept saying it. He had a heart for them, no doubt about it. You know, I believe this should be, church. If I I don't know how this message is exactly going to come across tonight. You know, as a preacher, you kind of preach in your mind several times before you actually come to this moment. I've walked with it. I've read. I've studied. I've prayed. I've thought about it. And... uh, the uh, passage kind of caught me off guard, you know, by way of the study of it, and just kind of comes right in line with some things that's in my heart right now about our church. Because I, I know I've said it before, but it's, it's deep in my heart that I pray and desire that what our church has been enjoying for all these years continues going on into the future. Even after we're gone. I mean, if we just face reality, the reality of it is this, is that we're not always going to be here. There's some folks, in fact, I could have brought a list to the pulpit tonight from 2013, a large number of individuals who have loved here and given here and served here, taught here, worked bus routes, many of whom have passed on to heaven or are currently in a place right now where they physically are not able to be here. And it, it just it tears them up as far as not being able to be here. They're glad to be able to watch the, um, you know, the DVDs and such. Always, if I get a chance to visit in their home, then I say, you know, you got a little bit of advantage. You can speed through the boring parts of the sermon, you know. We have a good time with that. But quite honestly, as good as that is for them, and by the way, that's a ministry that God, I believe, has given our church. It's humbling to think about that. But listen, people watch the singing and the music and know the prayer requests around the world. Some of the missionaries shared with us, hey, we've been praying with you about these things. They, they watch it. Listen, God, God has this church in a special place, in a special time right now. And we don't need to brag about that, but we ought to take it seriously and say, God, please help us. Please help us. And so... Um, 
Paul's heart here for all of these churches should really be our heart for our church and other churches that are a ministry of this church, that they might continue. This is uh, last week I had a um, occasion to rejoice with, uh, I know it doesn't sound like I'm rejoicing, but it is, you know, tears of joy kind of thing here, but um, uh, Brother Nate Britt, I mean, if you know Nate Britt, he just recently called to pastor a church in Wyoming. And that's exciting. And, you know, church, um, here we are coming up on another college days. Young people coming. And there's people here visiting tonight. God has put us in a place where we can have an influence for a span of time that can go all over this country and all around this world. But to whom much is given, much is required. So we've, we've got to stay faithful. Not just for those reasons, but those are good reasons. Fourteen of the 24 missionaries I'm talking about, you know, that we had in our conference. Of course, we had um, husband-wife teams and then two single missionaries. So of the 24, 14 of them were Pacific Coast BBC Graduates are Heartland Baptist Bible College graduates. Fourteen passed through here, and you had an influence on them. That's a legacy. It's a legacy that I pray God would help our church to continue to have. Paul loved these people. They were very dear to his heart. You think about it, uh, he spent time with them. Eighteen months he was in Corinth. Three years he was in Ephesus. Some of them he was just there just a short time. Many of them he led to Christ. He weathered storms of persecution with the people of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Listen, I mean, let's put this in a human context here. He stayed in their homes. He stayed up late with them. Remember after the Philippian jailer was saved? They stood up all night. <laughs> Isn't that great? Fellowship. We had the Bartels over on uh, Thursday night. And we had them over about 6 o'clock or so, and they might have left around 10. And we could have went a lot longer, you know. We didn't make them leave. but you, You have fellowship with them. You spend time with them in their homes. He worked with them. He worshiped with them. He sang with them. Some of them tended to some of his wounds. Stop and think about that. They bathed some of his wounds. He studied the Bible with them. He worked through conflicts with them. He wrote a letter to Corinth, said, straighten up. He wrote another letter, said, straighten up. He wrote a letter and said, I'm glad you straightened up. He went through a lot with that church and he wanted to, he wanted to go and see them. And he did. He knew them by name. He embraced them. They loved each other. He loved them and they loved him. These were these early Christians. He wanted to be an encouragement to them. 
Because he knew that as Christians, they had some difficulties ahead of them. I want to read this to you. It's a, it's a letter to a man named Dionetus. It's written back at the second century, describing Christians. Listen to this. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. They do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities. Wherever chance has put them from this, this is a, an outsider describing Christians. Are you with me? They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. At the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet they gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and they bless in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as if they were given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and persecuted by Greeks, yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. Christians. Though that would have described some of the people that Paul cared about. And so what happened is Paul wanted to encourage them. So he left there from, from Ephesus and he traveled north and to the west to Macedonia. He left there from Macedonia going, no doubt, of course, through Philippi, uh, from Philippi there into Thessalonica and to the Berea. And he went further south into Athens and then he went into Corinth and he spent three months there in Corinth, as we read in the text. From Corinth, he thought, I'm going to board a, a ship and I'm going to sail across the, the Mediterranean Sea and I'm going to go across into Jerusalem so as to make it by Passover. But then it was discovered that there was a plot against his life. It was Jews on a pilgrimage going back to Jerusalem. And here was what most likely, we don't know all the details of their plot, but it's most likely they thought, we'll get him out to sea, knock him in the head and throw him overboard. Well, Paul discovered their, their evil plot. And so instead of boarding a ship, that kind of changed his plans. And so he went north. He went back north again, back up to Macedonia. Spent some time there in Philippi. And then he met up with the believers over in Troas, which would be there in uh, Asia, that region in the north and west corner of Asia. And so he's there in Troas. And, and that's where he met up with other of uh, the believers there. And then we get we get a rare moment in the New Testament when we get to look in on one of their New Testament church services. We don't get to do that a whole lot. There's not a lot in the Bible that, that tells us exactly all that they did in a church service. But here's what they did. You ready? They gathered together on Sunday. 
First business of the church is to what? Assemble. So they got together and they got together on Sunday, the Lord's Day, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They gathered together there. They gathered together in the Sunday and it was towards the evening time. Why would it have been evening time? They had Sunday night services. Why did they have Sunday night services? A lot of them during the day, remember Sunday was not a day off for them. A lot of them worked during the day. A lot of them were servants. And so they got there when they could. And a lot of times that was nighttime and they gathered together. And they gathered together in somebody's home or this uh, place. And they had preaching. And preaching. And preaching. They gave attention to preaching. D. Martin Lloyd Jones said this, The decadent periods and eras in the church history have always been those periods when preaching has declined. When preaching has declined, the church has declined. And so they gave attention to preaching. A young man named Eutychus, aged probably anywhere from age 8 to about age 14, gathered in there. Evidently, it was a pretty tight place. And, and so he found a place to, to sit. Now listen, let's not be too hard on Eutychus. He was there and he wanted to listen. He wanted to listen. He found a place by a window where he might get a little bit of ventilation. The torches were burning. It was burning up all the oxygen. He found himself kind of getting a little bit drowsy. Well, he probably worked all day. Be like our Wednesday night. You know, many of you, you get up at ungodly times of the morning. Work right up until church time and come here and sometimes you find yourself. Amen. You ever, you ever do that? You think, wait a minute. Was I supposed to say amen right there? You know, it's dangerous to fall asleep in church. It's dangerous to fall asleep, you know, in public. Baptist Bible College is a legendary story that is true. It's a, uh, I'm not going to name the individual, but he fell asleep in, in class. You imagine that, a Bible college student falling asleep in class. Well, his buddy saw that he was asleep and he elbowed him and said, hey, Professor just called on you to pray. So in the middle of the class, this guy stood up and began to pray. <laughs> of course, the professor hadn't called on him to pray. He said, thank you, young man. You may be seated. <laughs> it's dangerous. Fall asleep in public. I fought it. I used to, I mean, obviously, Brother Sam, a tremendous preacher, tremendous preacher, but I, I'd be here. I don't remember where I used to sit. Anyways, I'd uh, sit here. Is this where I sit? I don't remember. Anyways, it was a while back. I mean, he's, he's flinging it down. You know, that's preacher talk for, I mean, getting after it. And man, I'm dozing. You know, it's bad to doze out there, but it's really bad to doze up here. Because then you wake up and think, who saw me? And how long have I been asleep? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's terrible. So here's what I would do. The trick that I would do is I'd keep my left foot up off the ground just about an inch. And as long as I did that, I would stay awake. <laughs> just thought I'd give you a practical tip for how to survive long preaching, all right? I, not that his preaching was long, but... Miss Sandy's here tonight. Oh, great. 
it just went past a devotion. I'll put it that way. So how's that? Man, Eutychus, no doubt. I mean, he was trying to fight. Just blah. Trying to fight it, you know, trying to stay awake. Amen, Paul. But eventually, I mean, sleep got the better of him. And the Bible says he fell out. Three stories or however far it was. It may have, somebody I read after said it may have just been 15 feet, but he hit hard. Died. They took him up as dead. That's a rough church service right there. You know, man, that was uh, tough. I, you know, I don't think, I, by the way, I don't think we're supposed to read any more into that than what I just explained to you. I don't believe the Holy Spirit of God was saying, don't you be leaning towards the world. See what happens when you lean towards the world and away from the Word of God. You fall out and you die. No. No, I'd say he got sleepy and he fell out the window. And that's about all it meant. So Paul went over and, I mean, no doubt there was a commotion and, and his buddies, I mean, they weren't even trying to keep him awake. Hey, a friend's supposed to help a friend, you know. And, and anyways, he fell out. Oh, no. And so they all ran out there and, and you know, they gathered around him and, and it was evident that he was dead. I mean, Luke's a doctor. He's the one writing this and, and he's indicating we took him up as dead. He, he was gone. I mean, he was, life was out of him. But Paul, just like Elisha and Elijah, I mean, there's so many similarities here. And he stretched himself upon him and he embraced him and he prayed, no doubt. And, and life came back to him. Whoa. And they weren't a little comforted over that. There was a lot of encouragement they got about that. What would be the encouragement? Our God is powerful. He is powerful. The Bible says they broke bread together. What does that mean, you know, early on? Does that mean the Lord's Supper or does it mean a meal? Most likely is that they enjoyed a meal together. Maybe they observed the Lord's Supper that night. I don't know. We don't have all the details about that. But here's what they had. They had fellowship with one another as believers and they had the preaching of the word of God that encouraged them and exhorted them. And they had a man of God there among them that cared about them and wanted to see them to continue because what they had was worth holding on to. And if it took him till midnight, in fact, I believe there's a little bit of a dialogue here that took place, not just one way, him preaching, but it may be that they asked him questions and that just kept them going all the way till the breaking of the next day. That's an all night Preaching, praying, questioning, question answer meeting. But they wanted to know, and he wanted them to know why, because there had to be stability for the future. I believe this is very much on the heart of our missionaries. Didn't you hear it this last when we had the missions conference? How they wanted to see these churches make it and go strong. You know why they have W.L. Smith come in? Because they know that these churches are going to be faced with Pentecostalism and they're going to be faced with the New Age movement. Just did a, a session on the New Age movement down in Argentina and, or in Chile, one of those places. But they brought him in. You know why? Because those missionaries care so much about those people that even if the missionary was gone, they want them to continue right on see there's two dangers a church has a church could quit they could stop going forward be tempted can I say it this way they'd be tempted to give up 
Paul knew they'd be tempted to give up. Why would they be tempted to give up? Times are hard. Results may have been few. They'd be tempted to give up. They'd also be tempted this. They'd be tempted to go in a different direction. Two dangers to the churches then in Paul's day that kept him up till midnight until the breaking of the day. One, that they'd be tempted to give up. Two, that they'd be tempted to go in a different direction. If they gave up, then the people that came after them would not receive what they had. If they went in a different direction, then the people that came after them would not receive what they received. It was, an imper- it was imperative that they continued. And thus Paul sought to encourage them, to help them, to spend time exhorting them so as to preserve what they had in Christ and to encourage progress. Preserve, in fact, the secular world recognizes this. I read a book, um, I listened to the audio version of it, I'm sorry, called Good to Great. How companies in America went from being good companies to being great companies. One of them was Gillette. Hey, it's the best a man can get, right? <laughs> they went from a good company to a great company. Here's how. And, and all these companies, I forget now how many it was that he analyzed that, that had this margin of growth and this longevity. But of all of them that he studied, here's what he found. They preserved the core of who they were and they stimulated progress. They preserve the core. Listen, oh, this is good. Listen, we can learn. Jesus said you can learn something from the people out there. They preserved who they were, and at the same time, they encouraged progress. They did not change. He said this, the companies that went from this to this and then to this and then to something else, they didn't make it. They may have been good companies, but they weren't great companies. So he said, if you want to go that route, you've got to preserve the core and encourage progress. Well, if that applies to the secular world, how much more does that apply to the work and the ministry and the values and the beliefs of Southwest Baptist Church that we must, with God's help, preserve the core Preserve core beliefs, preserve, listen, preserve what we have and at the same time see progress. But we can see progress without changing directions. But I believe to this day that the same danger they faced back then is the same danger that we face today and the danger that you face as an individual is this, that you and our church, all of us, are tempted to give up and we're tempted to go in a different direction. But let me remind you tonight that if we give up on church or we give up on the Bible or we give up on Christ or we give up on godly music or we give up on baptism and Baptist distinctives, if we give up, those who come behind us do not receive what we have. 
And if we go in a different direction than that which we have received from, from our elders, listen, not just because it's tradition, no, not that at all, but because what we have received is worth passing on. We can't afford to go in a different direction because if, if this preacher leads this church in a different direction, these boys or if I allow, and these girls, if I allow for that or if we allow for that, it's, by the way, it's not just the preacher, it's the people of the church. If we don't all hold these things to be very, very important enough to pass on, then these kids will grow up in a totally different church. And that's what's happened across the landscape of religious America and even Baptist America. Churches that once stood as flagship churches, just like Southwest Baptist Church. I'm talking about soul winning, Bible preaching, godly music oriented churches. I'm talking about churches that were on the right path. Down the road, they said, you know, maybe we need to try something new. And they no longer are what they were. And thus their children and their grandchildren do not have what that other generation had. How can we keep that from happening? Is that a worthy question tonight? How can we keep that from happening? Well, I just have to look and see what Paul did then. And what the believers did then. It wasn't just Paul. He had seven other men that were with him. Trophimus, Timotheus, and the others that were mentioned there. A team there was a team there. What were they there? Well, yes, they were taking a collection to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem and they were representing their churches. Individual, oh, hey, look what this shows. These were independent, fundamental Baptist churches that were working together for a common purpose. That's what we do. And here they are working together and they're leaving a legacy. And here are church members and they're staying up until the wee hours of the night and they're maybe even fighting sleep and they're making a real effort. Hey, listen, sometimes it's just an effort to make it to church and to stay awake. But I'm telling you, whatever you've got to do, it's worth it because it's not just about you, but it's about the people that will come behind you and the people that will become behind us. We've got to make sure that what we have received, we pass on. And church, listen, that's why the ministry here must continue to be strong. But Dave Hardy came to our class a few weeks back and just shared with those men then some very important things about mentoring. And he quoted someone who said this, How long an institution maintains its core values depends on mentoring. How long it continues and maintains its core values depends on mentoring. It doesn't depend on technology. It depends on you and I seeing a need to pass on what we've received to the next generation. The Bible represents a three-generation aspect of life. Brother uh, W.L. Smith, we didn't talk about this previously. Would you mind to come up? And uh, Micaiah, why don't you come up? You're right there handy. All right. Okay, Brother Smith here and Micaiah here. Okay. Dallin, how about it? Yeah, he's ready. Good. Come on down this way. All right, watch this. This generation received something that I want. You with me here tonight? 
this generation has a heart and soul for Bible preaching and for church planting and for missionaries. I want what they've got. And I'm thankful to God for men like Brother Smith who have passed it on to me. Men like my pastor and my father-in-law and and like Brother Davison and Brother Hardy and on and on we could go. But listen, they had a generation and he came and spoke to our church staff about some of the men that he was around, like uh, Brother Harvey, uh, Harvey Springer and different ones that influenced his life. See, isn't that right, Brother Smith? He was influenced by that generation and he got it and he embraced it. He didn't try to change it and come up with something new and exciting for his generation. He said, this is timeless. And he passed it, he's passing, he's still passing it on. I pray that by the time I'm his age, that I'm able to travel and do and go and have a heart and desire for it. He's passing it on. My generation, if you fit in this category, you're in in a young marriage class or a little bit past a young marriage class, wherever you are, listen, it's important that we receive this. But then it's not just enough that we receive this, we've got to pass it on to this generation. And this generation, your generation, Brother Micaiah, and all of you that represent this generation, you've got to be willing to receive it and embrace it. Not just because of him and not just because of this individual, but because of what this represents. And then, Micaiah, I've got to remind you, my dear brother, that there's a younger generation sitting right down here by you that's watching how you're doing and watching how important this preaching is to you. And if you're, listen, it's one thing to fall asleep, you know, just because you've been working and you're tired and you fall out. But it's another thing if you're trying to go to sleep or just kind of slumbering here and thinking, you know, this church service is just not really that important. And, and I've got other things, you know, that are more important. Hey, listen, this, mor- this evening, is it morning yet? No. Listen this evening. What's going on right here has to do with your life, has to do with your family, has to do with your marriage, has to do with your kids and your grandkids. You say, I don't have a marriage yet. You will someday. You need to pay attention to this. And you will have kids and you will have grandkids. And you've got to make sure that what's being passed down here to you, that you get it. So stay awake. Listen up and don't do anything else. You need this. What if that generation gave up? What if this generation and the one before him of godly people that came up here at Southwest Baptist Church said, you know, I'm a little bit too busy to teach a Sunday school class. Many of you wouldn't have been taught. I could name some names here of people that were your Sunday school teachers and you just think about it, but they took some time to teach you. And here's what I'm thankful for. Those of you that were taught in those classes who say, it's my time to do it now. It's my time to do it. I'm not going to leave it to students. I'm going to teach. Listen to me here tonight. I'm thankful for students' involvement. But listen, this, this generation is not, suppo- not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be like this. Are you all right? See, I can learn. We, we learn from some things from each other. We all do. But, but what needs to happen, let's switch places again. He needs to learn as I'm doing. And I need to learn as he's doing. 
he might learn some things from me, and I certainly learned some things from this generation, and their passion and their zeal, and they may not have a whole lot of knowledge. I mean, Micaiah's would be the exception, but uh, uh, they've got zeal, they've got passion, they've got life, they've got drive, they've got all those things. That's great. Listen, God put this all together. It's called teamwork to leave a legacy. Because these are coming up quick. How are we going to have a strong choir? It's by young men like this and young ladies as well that are in peewee and patch and youth ministry. You know what kind of music they need to be learning? Those same kind they're going to be singing up here. You know where a church starts to get off track is when they think this younger generation needs some kind of newfangled music that will appeal to their generation. What that is saying basically is we want music that will appeal to their flesh. Not interested in that. I want to keep going. And I want our church to keep going by the grace of God because there's generations still yet to come until Jesus comes. And we don't know how long that's going to be, but may God help us to continue and not give up and not go in a different direction, but just to keep going. Thank you, man. I appreciate it very, very much. Father, we come to you. And... um, There's a role that Sunday school plays here, a need for Sunday school teachers. I meant to emphasize this even more in the message about how that 85% of full-time Christian workers and missionaries come through the Sunday school. I want to thank you for every Sunday school teacher of every grade. And we're going to have need here coming up in, in the summer to have new Sunday school teachers by way of by way of just the year commitment and some maybe not able to teach or some moving away or whatever it might be, dear God, please give us the right teachers. Give us the right helpers. Lord, help us to reach families. God, help us to care about the bus ministry and see that if we're really going to reach these young people that we've got to reach their families, not just them. God, help us to see parenting in our homes as teamwork that's leaving a legacy. God, help us. We've got to be on the same page and working together, not giving up and not going in a different direction. Lord, help us to make sure that we pass on that which we've received. It will take effort. It will take time. It will take repetition. And, Lord, long hours, sometimes just like it did in the life of Paul. And I pray you'd help us to be willing to pay the price for the coming generations. Lord, I feel like we're at a pivotal point as a church. And I pray that you'd steer us. I know you'll steer us in the right direction. I pray we'd have the sense enough to go in the right direction. Please, dear God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.